On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to answer the question, should I start a business? We're gonna talk about what we thought of when we started our businesses and our massive failures along the way. That's next. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, here with my amazing spouse, Jeremy Aspen. On Bootstrappers, we talk about subjects that matter to real estate and property management entrepreneurs. I'm super excited about today's show. We're going to answer the question that Jeremy and I get asked all the time. Should I start my own small business? In fact, Jeremy, you went out to uh, drinks with somebody who had this question. Yeah, actually just yesterday they just came yesterday. out. Should I start another business? Or should I start a business? Well, there's some pitfalls. There's some perks. Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. We help transform and scale your business, improve profitability, and whether it's a 24-hour uh, hotline or full-blown back office support, bookkeeping, we've got you covered. If you're a fan of the show, please like and subscribe on our YouTube channel, and we have a book giveaway that we will be revealing this week's book at the end of the show. Ooh. If you'd like to participate in the book giveaway, please uh, look at the link in our YouTube channel or go to our Instagram at Bootstrapper Show and find information about it there. So I wanna dig more into if people should start a company. So I thought it would be helpful if we talk about how we started our first company, because I don't think we've ever gone over that in I the show. It. I doubt it's embarrassing. So it started a long time ago. I'm not even gonna say the year because it's embarrassing how old we are, but um, we used to go after- It's not embarrassing when you tell them that I'm 10 years older than you. Okay, well, <laughs> but <laughs> the we would go out to drinks with all of our friends when we lived in Kansas City, and we would just dream about the businesses that we would start. Mm. But I think it turned out that only you and I actually Yeah, we had a whole group of people. I remember one friend, he and I would get together to bars and libraries or bookstores at the time and talk about these businesses we were going to start. And like, like never did anything. No, most people don't. And I mean, it makes sense because there's a huge risk. Like you're basically saying, hey, I'm not going to make any money for about two years. The risks are huge. I'm probably going to fail. And somehow you have to get over the hump that even given all those risks and drawbacks, it's still worth it. And a lot of people just can't get to that point if they're comfortable with a corporate job. So um, I think one of the things that got us over the hump is that we saw a huge need. So maybe you can kind of give some background. So back on in the day, I was uh, I had been sending my money back to the United States when I lived in another country and buying um, investment property. And really, there was only one person I trusted. It was my best friend, Luis, to manage the properties. So he did. And then, you know, he'd look around, we'd look around trying to find some sort of an alternative. And really just at the time in our industry and in, in this market, there weren't any options. They were mostly all... You mean property manager options? Property manager options. Um, they were mostly realtors that were looking to use property management as a feeder. Now, people do that and they do that now. And we even have some good clients that do that. But... The distinguishing characteristic is that they did crap work on the property management In the side. Omaha like In area. In the Omaha area. And there had, wasn't anyone that, well, we interviewed a bunch of them. And seven, uh, there was, well, yeah. And so one of the, 
just to kind of demonstrate how bad they were, um, they would always offer this pro forma and they would not perform. And then they, you know, the owner of the property ended up having to sell it. We found one property inside of nine years that had changed hands seven times. And that was a testament to the, the broker made a ton of money, but did literally nothing. So that was the environment that we started with. Well, and I just want to say one other thing. Um, so we had just to frame it a little bit more. So we both were working really intense corporate jobs. I traveled like 90% of the time. Jeremy was running a whole office in Kansas City. We were buying these rental properties. We're interviewing property managers because we just couldn't handle the amount of properties that we had. And as we interviewed them, we're like, so, you know, what technology do you use? And they're like, oh, well, I just send you this handwritten form. (laughs) We mail it. It's like, well, they were so analog. It was crazy. And we were both in kind of tech. I was in healthcare IT. You use technology all the time for transportation logistics. Logistics. Yeah. We were like, geez, if everybody in the Omaha area is doing property management literally completely analog, there's clearly a market here for us to do it. And if everyone's, I don't know if shady is the right word, but they were maybe not super shitty. competent. <laughs> if everybody's incompetent, that even us coming in without a whole lot of real estate experience, but with business experience, we saw a niche. Right, and so I guess if we're gonna glean some, some key, I don't know, some key takeaways from our startup experience is, number one, find a niche where you're going to be successful. Like be able to articulate why the company you're starting is going to be different than what's out there now or is new in some way. And if you can't articulate the difference that you're gonna bring to the table, maybe you shouldn't start the business. Yeah, um, and then there's, I, I wanna bring up capital and stuff like that. If it's a low barrier of entry, like in property management, there's a low barrier of entry, you also need to understand that you're gonna be have a lot of competitors around you. I know that in digital marketing these days, there's a lot of digital marketers, and really what you need is a laptop and a place to work. Um, okay, and, it's, and you can do it, but you better have an advantage over your client, mm. over your competition, because that is a that is a sign that you're probably entering a commoditized industry. So you have to have an advantage. Oh gosh, that is a huge important tip. So um, so even though we could articulate our advantage and we knew why we were starting a property management company, people still did not believe in us. <laughs> No. Well, yeah. So we at had, all. Do you want to tell? So you want to tell the story that was like the biggest. We had an investment guy. He was taking care of. He, you know, he was setting us up with, uh, you know, a portfolio. What to do with our four hundred one k that we rolled over from our other companies, and um, and I I had told him, okay, I have, we have a business, so that's going to take care of the um, risk portion of our portfolio and then all the rest of it. So I wanted to be in very slow growth. Well, he didn't agree with me that the business was risky and so he diversified, we got rid of him. But I remember that what I was, mo- or we, we told him um, about what we were gonna be doing and then I think he looked over at you and is like, so what, what we said, here. so I had a job, I was going, our, our plan was I was going to be a pharmaceutical rep, which I was, pharma rep, pay the bills while you started the property management company. So, and we had both quit really well-paying really jobs. Well I mean, the pharma job. job was 
I don't know, like a lateral switch for me. But you you quit a pretty good paying job to be Very what good, most yeah. people would describe as unemployed. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so he looks at me and he's like, so, or no, he looked at you and he said, so you're going into real estate. And you were like, yeah. And he said, so do you have your real estate license? Not yet. Yeah. Don't you need a broker's license to be a property manager? Yep. Do you have that? Nope. <laughs> And then he looks at me and he's like, girl, run. Get like, out of get here. out of here. You're going to, this guy's a taker. You're going to be paying for his butt to watch TV all day. Which was a legitimate, and, and you did for a while. No, well, not you to watch, watch TV. TV. No, no. You were actually, it should be noted that at the time, Jeremy got his broker's license faster than anybody in Nebraska Ever. history. Yeah. <laughs> Because you treated it like a real job. I so worked, you worked every day. And you were used to working like 50 hour a week uh, jobs. So you just worked 50 hours a week, but getting your broker's license. And back then there was no requirement for you to have any experience. <laughs> you were, <laughs> there was like, if you take the classes, I think you had to take like three extra classes because you didn't have Four. an experience yep, yep. and you just did it. So anyway, one of the things when you start a company is just expect that people will not believe in you. They're going to look at you like you're crazy and you have to just kind of ex expect that, accept it, and be able to talk yourself over the ledge and tell yourself that they're wrong. Um, another reason why people do not want to start businesses is because they're afraid of failure. Wouldn't you agree, Jeremy? There's just this Well, that's got to be the biggest one. Yeah, I mean, everybody always sees the upside and that's what motivates them. But like our And you don't expect the failure. Like we expected to succeed, but ultimately. There, ultimately, and we believed we could do it. I don't think that we would quit our good jobs if we Baby had. steps. I mean, and, and those baby steps, especially when you're starting out, are some of them are failure. You've got to really find out where your niche is and what you can pull off better than anybody else. And the only way you can do that is kind of shotgun into the market. Just do everything and find out where your niche is and then you end up coming up with it. Unless you're a really good planner. And, and we're gonna talk more about truly fail, like epic fails in a little bit. But I guess the other thing that we should discuss before we go there is the how. Because you have to understand how you're going to feed yourself for the two years that you're not going to make any money when you start a business. So, number one, marry up. <laughs> marry somebody who can make money. Because that was a that, big part of yes. our formulation is that we weren't going to be able to... We had some money, some savings buried into some real estate, and that was good. But cash flow was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah, we would have had to refinance for something to get it out. Um, but yeah, you had a job that was going to be able to pay for our livelihood. We took Dave Ramsey's advice, which is buy the smallest house you feel comfortable in. And then we bought about two sizes smaller and actually didn't have much of a mortgage. I mean, we really established ourselves that we didn't have Bare minimum living expenses. Because you have to prepare. We It was 18 months before I got a, my first $500 paycheck from the company. <clears throat> 18 months that's a long time and then of course it was the month after that was about a million dollars if i'm not mistaken <laughs> no it was it's iterative no and it just it was little not. by little you gotta you just start making a little bit more money and then at some point well and i do want to bring up so one other thing that we did because there was no like healthcare was a really so i had good health care with my yeah, job very good but eventually i quit my job because we had two tiny, tiny children, 18 months apart. Um, and so we were only living off your very small startup salary. 
And the one way that we were able to do that is we got this line of credit mortgage on our house. Yeah, and so I think that, that's worth going into because right, that was so a huge part of us being able to really quickly. At this plan. What we did was we had a we had um, a line of credit. We did not have a traditional mortgage. We had it secured by a house. But what it let us do is I would take all of our rental money and put it into the line of credit. So that would keep the average daily balance down. And by keeping the average daily balance down, you also keep your interest uh, way lower. So I think... Because you're only paying uh, interest on what is outstanding. On what's outstanding. So I think we paid off our houses, all of them. We had... Uh, four I think at the time oh and a multiplex I think in seven years we had it all paid for because we used all that revenue where we'd bring the revenue in at the beginning of the month we'd keep it there as long as we could keep the average daily balance down and when they charged interest at the end of the month it was you know instead of maybe three or four thousand dollars of interest that was being added up it was in the hundreds because we just kept our balance so low so that was well a, and we lived we lived on a very small yeah, budget. Yeah, yeah. So I do want to say one of my budgetary, there are two things that were really huge. Number one, I well, three, I can shop at, I can shop at, <laughs> shop at, at like Goodwill and make it work. I'm like a super good yeah. shopper there. Also, you can make it like you can eat like you are at you live at Taco Bell in that you buy the same ingredients and then you just recycle it. Yeah. So you're like, oh, today it's spaghetti. We were fiscally oh, tomorrow it's lasagna. Oh, the next day it's tacos. Yeah. Oh, it's a pizza now. And it was like the same ingredients. And I think we were vegetarian because meat was expensive. I don't know if I. But well, we weren't vegetarian, right? Like, but you'd eat it if it was available, but I never made it. I for was, you. Uh, yeah, we were very fiscally conservative. Like we established, we wanted to get those houses paid off. So I just want to make. I think that was a huge was. part of the success there. Yeah. And then having that line of credit. Also, if there was a medical emergency, we knew we had cash to handle that kind of thing. Yep. And that was important for my peace of mind. So. So we had one person making an income while the other person didn't. And then once you finally made an income, I stayed home with the little kids while they were tiny little babies. Which is tough. That was hard on you. You and didn't like that. It, it wasn't a good use of my skills. No. It didn't highlight anything super positive in my person. No. It didn't. It's not for everybody, but whatever, it happened. And it was good for the kids. It, it was good for well. the kids. It was temporary. So, um, but what one thing that we've always done is one person, whenever we start businesses, we always have one person making money and the other person not making money. Because when I started Aniquim, you were paying the bills and obviously that wasn't really making any money for Aniquim, Aniquim yeah. for about a year either. Um, okay, so that's the how. Now let's talk about the risk and the fear of failure because that is the number one thing that keeps people from... Well, lucky for us, we had plenty of failure because <laughs> during, like, during, uh, during the, that time when we were kind of just coming around to being an established company, I took on a political campaign which was to remove, to recall our, our local mayor um, and it was a big deal. I mean, in terms of like news wait, wait, and the go time. back to how you got that gig. Cause well, that, I was doing radio. Okay. So I was doing radio and uh, let's talk about how that, that was related to property management. So you were doing radio uh, as a marketing campaign yeah. 
to locally bring some uh, visibility to the new company. Yeah, right, right. So you had a radio show. It was called Take Back Omaha. Uh, no, and then there were some other ones, some real estate ones. I don't know. We probably had four or five over the course of the years. but With different hosts and yeah, different Yeah, and it was makeups. an AM station, and we would get, do uh, real estate. And my, my, I would always bring the property management anecdote. Paul Vicheski would always bring the, um, the the real estate sales side. And so we just kind of went at it as a marketing tool. Well, of course, that turns into some doing some political shows once in a while and getting involved that way. And so they needed a really good looking guy with a great hairline to uh, come for on. Because you had for a the, face for radio. Yeah, for the... Uh, <laughs> For the for the recall for the campaign, oh, yeah. so they, well, they came, wanted a young person, and I was younger, younger than anyone else. Yeah, on the ten years. Campaign. Um, oh yeah, way younger. And so did that gig. I got a whole bunch of exposure, made a lot of mistakes publicly. Well, um, and even taking that on was a risk. It was in, very in risky. Well, it was risky in one sense. Obviously, failure was the likelihood of a startup campaign like that. Um, but also, I mean, I think I did about four hundred and some interviews during that time so you know you're gonna flop on some of those you're gonna give information you weren't supposed to so there's just all these opportunities to fail but you know through failure comes success and and it ended up actually even in that case our campaign did achieve its objective which was to get them on the ballot um, but it takes a, it just took failure and it 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 kind of you kind of build a tolerance for failure after a while and like we tell our daughters she was going to um, speak in front of the legislature a couple months ago, and I leaned over to her and I said, how do you feel? And she says, I'm really nervous, because, you know, talking to the committee. And I said, okay, well, that, is, that feeling is the feeling that people use to not grow. Don't, and, and so the idea being, okay, that's not gonna be me. So she's, <clears throat> she's gonna do it. And she got up there and she did it, because you have to go through those tough times or you're not going to be able to run a business. You're not going to be able to do anything substantial. So I think instead of grow, I think I would reword it instead of having a tolerance for failure, I would say have the tolerance for the being uncomfortable and getting out of your comfort zone. And then sometimes it lands and sometimes it's Sometimes it doesn't. You you just can't be super afraid of the failure in and of itself because you're going to have some failures, but you just need to get through that. And and the way that we decided to do that campaign, because I I remember somebody came over to our house, they tried to persuade you to do it, and we were making the decision as a couple because it was going to take away from the family and the business. It was just going to take a bunch of time. And we were like, well, we're nobodies now. So if we fail at this campaign or if you fail at the campaign, we'll just be nobodies with a failure under our belt. And our family likely will still talk to us. Our friends will probably still like us. So who cares? Who cares? Let's do this thing. That was kind of our rationale. And that's those are the things I want to bring up on the show is what is the thought process behind taking those big risks? But that was pretty much our thought process. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, And then that campaign did ultimately fail. He never got recalled. No, ultimately, yeah. And I just remember that day when that uh, the votes came in and the campaign got lost, was lost. Remember all the tweets and, I mean, social media wasn't even big then, but you were getting some like major hate Oh yeah, well we got that the whole time. I mean, that, that's but it was way worse when you failed, like when it ultimately uh, ended. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was miserable. But you know, and that kind of you know we both entered the political life. You went into a political campaign after that, um, and added to our list of oops. 
Well, but I think the takeaway from that particular one, because that was our first major political failure, there were plenty to follow, but that was the first one. I remember being in bed and seeing all of those. Like, oh, when yeah. I get bed, it was just like, hate, Comments. hate, 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 oh, yeah, hate, yeah. hate. And uh, I was taking it kind of hard, and you're like, whatever. Have those people ever stood up and did anything before? Uh, put themselves out there. Put themselves out there? Yeah. Like, it's so easy to send a mean email to somebody. Who cares? He's like, I, Who I couldn't cares? read it. He's like, do you know Jim Smith? Or whoever it yeah, was. Yeah, I do like, know Jim Smith. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> Senator? No, but, no, I'm just saying, like a random person. Like, do you know this person? And I'd be like, no. And you're like, do you really care if they don't like us because of the campaign that we just ran? And yeah. I was like, no. Right. The other thing um, that helped me kind of get over being afraid of doing things is your radio show because your radio shows were not always amazing no <laughs> paul ran them <laughs> what a failure but like when you guys kidding, paul. when you guys would be really bad it was because you didn't have any time to prepare because you had a busy week work yeah. uh, running a company running it starting and i would try to do the, the backup up stuff for you but sometimes i wouldn't have time to like cut out articles no, when you started doing but that, you were really bad sometimes and i was embarrassed for you and i <laughs> <laughs> sorry is this kind of mean no I, I mean, mean. That's but right. i was i was embarrassed for you and i was totally worried people would call me and be like do you hear him on the radio like this is <laughs> But again, it's one of those things that... But nobody ever said anything. No one cared. They're busy doing their own lives. They don't care if you suck at the radio. Or if you make a mistake. or I mean, you could say something slanderous or something that gets you in trouble, but no, everybody's pretty forgiving when it comes... Because no one's paying attention that much to you. I'm sorry. The world's not circling around you for every single thing that you do. It's just you kind of slip through the day. You, a couple of people are going to notice you, and the ones that you can convince you're better at your job at, then they're going to be the ones that help pay the bills. That's how it goes. Okay, so I feel bad that we've been bagging on you this whole time. I'm going to take some responsibility for my own failure, okay? So um, I ran for state legislature in 2014. I lost big, like pretty bad. Yeah. And I lost $124,000 of my friends and family. At the money. time, the most expensive uh, legislative race in Nebraska. Yeah, it was. Um, and it was a huge blow because I did win the primary. So I had the fun experience of winning once. And then I just really did bad badly in the general um really and that was a huge blow just because it it was a two-year campaign it was two years of my life running and it was against an incumbent who was established it was such a hard race um it took so much out of me so much brain space every weekend we were working door uh, walking door to door it was just a huge part of our life. It was definitely at the time the hardest thing I'd ever done. But what a great thing that we, well, we ultimately lost. When I, It was, but um, at the time it was terrible. And you gave me great advice. Your advice was after, so I had a little time where I just didn't do anything. The race was in November, went through the holidays, then January 1st, I was like, I'm gonna be over this. And then you said, just come work at Wistar be a leasing agent, be the best damn leasing agent. We had a new building be. coming on at the time that was just like brand, brand new, new. A multifamily, yep. new construction, beautiful. And you were just like, just do a job and do it well and the confidence will come back. And I think that was fantastic advice. I just. It was. Uh, it was brilliant. 
you were like, just get back on your feet, just start living life, just start doing something. And it did, it kind of gave me that confidence. And now I'm super happy that that campaign was a failure huh. because there's no way that we would have started Anaquim had I been working for the- right, zero chance. And I, I could be making $12,000 a year yeah, right? as a state legislator. And you took a lot away from that. I mean, even though you didn't succeed at the at the campaign itself, you, you had some fun takeaways. Well, and that's the other point is when you do fail, uh, if you fail well, you learn from the experience. Um, and I learned how to public speak. I learned how to think on my feet. I learned how to be decisive. I learned how to work super long hours under high stress. I learned how to have a horrible day and still you know, make things work. So I learned so much from that that I brought to Anaquim in the end. So I'm super grateful for the experience. And I had positive self-talk after the loss. I really made sure that my mindset was positive. What I didn't want to be is one of those people that talks about their campaign like it happened yesterday, 10 years after they lost. Because how many people do we know like that? Oh God. It's um, embarrassing. Well, I just didn't want to be that person. So. Um, so those were kind of the factors that went into that. But um, so I want I know. But you, you had some takeaways, too. From I did it. have some major takeaways. I just to round out the show. I know you went out with somebody last night talking about whether they should start a business. What were three things that you mentioned to them that are kind of like hard and fast rules about maybe more of the structure of the organization that someone uh, should well, have in mind before? They I, start? I would say so. I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but. Uh, having a scarcity mindset. No, we haven't talked about that. So the scarcity mindset is when you're always operating from a sense of... Uh, of not having enough. Of, of not having enough to do what it is that you want to do, like not going to have enough clients or not going to have enough money um, or not going to have enough time. Those are all things that you really do have to get over because if you're going to start a business, you have to have the time and you have to use that time well, you have to have a certain amount of money, but it also comes from the activity that you're doing. Because remember, when you're working for another company, they're paying you for something and you're adding to the system that ultimately brings in more money. When you're starting your own business, you are putting energies into this little system that is going to make more money with your energies. And that's what I think a lot of small business owners don't quite get. They have a hard time understanding the connection between their efforts actually turning into revenue later. But you're doing it eight hours a day, well, eight, 10 hours a day. You run into people, you talk to them, they give you a chance, it turns into a small client, you have a reference, you turn it into something else. So don't operate on a scarcity mindset. Um, also, don't reinvent the wheel with some of your systems. Like the ones that I always see in, when we're consulting is people do fantastically weird stuff on, <laughs> on, um, their aged, on their payables and their receivables, especially payables. They, they try to make it so that the books are doing some weird dance that is supposed to show the financials, um, not tell the owners some of the stuff that they don't want them to see. And what else? Payable. Anyway, financial payables are, you just pay your bills. And keep it simple, it stupid. Keep it simple. If it doesn't show, if it, it's going to show up on the day that you pay the bills. So pay the bills once a week or whatever. Have a flow. Input the bills in real time. Um, approve the bills on the same day every week. Write the check 
And that's it. You don't need to adjust anything. You don't need to do anything weird or creative <laughs> when it comes to payables. Just pay the bills. I feel Get them like in the business is a lot like that. Like, uh, you know, we don't have to be creative about what a job description don't is. Don't be creative. I mean, the be creative in your marketing. Be creative about your business idea. Not accounting. But you don't need to be creative about the structure of the company or how the how to do invoicing. There's a bunch of boring stuff. Invoicing, invoice. Or collections invoice. or any of those back office tasks do not need to be creative. Invoice the day you're done with the job. While you're in there wrapping things up, finish the invoice. Like That's just a good one. Um, What's your third one? So streamline the system. So there's this compound. Everybody's familiar with what compound interest does. It, it works the same way in the financial world as it does in the operations world. So what you have, what you've got to do is you've got to have systems. Have this is for your product. This is the operation. I would say, um, make sure that you're investing whatever little time that you have left into making your operation, your, the system you use to to generate your service or product, you're fixing it, you're tweaking it, you're making it better at the front end. Because the sooner you get that stuff in, the more likely you are going to be able to, well, the, the sooner you will benefit from, from those energies. Do it at the front end. If you don't do it at the front end, and here's the, here's the measure. When, it's like with money. It's like with money, like in the trust world, like if you're managing somebody's money, it, sometimes it's easier to just, uh, there's three cents unaccounted for, you just kind of take it. Well, okay, is 16 cents, is that ethical? How about a dollar, $10, $40? Like you start to be in a slippery slope and you have to make a decision that in the trust account world, if you can't find three cents, you find three cents. You find out whose money that is. Never ever steal any money at all. So it's like that also with the operation. If you let the operation slip and there's one thing that you think you could do to make it a little bit better but you don't have time, then you're, you're on a trajectory for what a lot of failed business owners fall into and that is never making time to actually fix the problem. And work you just on keep, your business. You, it's a slippery slope. You just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. You know there's something better. Do it. I, as a matter of fact, for me, I was fanatical. I wouldn't finish the job, even if it was going to be late, until I finished fixing the system. So I never had to do it again. That's I'm the I'm the hardest working lazy person I've ever met. I just I cannot stand the idea of doing things twice because it means I didn't do it. I didn't address it the first time. So that that I would say without thinking too hard about it, that would be the first, um, those are the first three things that pop into my mind is what a business owner should be doing. Well, I like that. So so I think that kind of wraps up the show. I want to let everyone know that we have a fantastic book giveaway today. Today, in line with what we're talking about, we are giving away the book, What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars by Jim Paul and Brendan Moynihan. Super good book. I read it a few years ago. I loved it. To participate in the book giveaway, please go to our YouTube channel and click on the link in the description or go to our Instagram, Bootstrappers Show, and click in the link in our bio. So that's a wrap. We'll see you next week on Bootstrappers.